All right, we're back. We're back on. Okay, oh well, did anybody else record that? Yay, okay, great. If you can share that with me, that'd be great. So she, she runs to the house, gets the recorder, runs back and brings the recorder, and of course she's like taking a little minute to catch her breath back because it's a, you know, a little bit of a ways. And I said, hey, Nancy, did you sweat going to get the recorder? She said, yeah. I said, did you sweat coming back? She said, yeah. I said, you mean you sweat both ways? And we cracked up laughing. I said, Nancy, do you see what God's saying to us? If you run away from him or if you run to him, you're still going to sweat. You might as well get something out of the pain that you're in. Because you can't run from it. You're just going to run slap into it. Why? Because it's truth that you're running from, and truth is omnipotent. Doesn't matter where you run, you're going to run into it. I was working with a woman one time, and she said to me, Oh, I think I'm feeling sick to my stomach. Do you mind if I stop and get something to eat? She was about 140 pounds overweight. And I said, I don't mind. You can eat if you want to. I said, or you could deal with what's going on and let your emotions flow. She said, but I might throw up. I said, I don't mind. I don't mind if you throw up. She said, no, I, I think I better. It's, it's my blood sugar. I think I better, I better eat something. See that lie? She wanted to be comforted. She immediately ran to food. What's the difference? What difference does it make if I run to a television show, to a fantasy book, to church, to prayer? Do you know you can run to prayer in fear and you might as well shut up? You know why you're praying at that moment? Just to make yourself feel better. God said if without faith you can't please Him. So if you're praying in fear, it's, just, it's really not even effective. Why? Because if you pray double-minded... You're not even going to get what you pray for. How did I learn that? Because I was in the middle of doing it. My stomach kind of went what I call women's intuition. And I thought, oh, Father, something must be wrong. I need to pray. Pray for my children. Pray for my husband. I started praying for all my family. Started praying for my church. Started praying for my city. Started praying for the United States. Started praying for the whole world. I'm crying. Praying. And God said, you might as well not even pray. I said, but God, I'm interceding for your people. He said, no, you're not. You're afraid. You don't believe what you're... You think I'm going to hear you for your many words. Now, does that sound like a loving father to rebuke me while I'm praying for the whole earth, his children? And crying along with it, like sincere... I was sincere as I could be. Was I receiving truth at that moment from father? Did it feel good? No. I would have liked it much better if he have said, Oh, honey... You're so sweet and loving. Thank you for praying for my whole earth. I think I'll just answer your prayer right now. (laughs) That's not what he did to me. He said, you might as well not even pray. You're asking amiss. You think I hear you for your many words. I said, God, then what is this? He said, it's me. I'm the one turning your stomach. I'm like, God, this don't feel like you. He said, how do you know what I feel like? I said, well, it don't feel good. He said, what if I put a 110 wire in your belly? Would that feel good? I was like, well, no. 
He said, how about a 220? I said, that would be worse. He said, I'm all powerful. How about that? Would that feel good? I'm like, ooh. He says, you can't handle a 9-volt battery on your tongue. That's how ill-tempered you are. You can't handle power. You keep praying for power. You just pray for enough power to change the whole world. You can't handle 9 volts. I was like, well, well, what do I do with this? He said, remember you prayed the prayer of Jabez that I would expand your borders? What did you think you were going to get? More real estate? I said, yeah. You know those expand your tent pegs thing? I said, yeah, God, that's what I thought. As if he didn't know. He said, Angela, you are my real estate. I'm going to expand you and your borders so that you can handle more of me all powerful. But God, it doesn't feel good. He said, that's okay. You'll get used to it. You'll be tempered. Imagine you're a piece of pottery in an oven and I'm turning the temperature up. Eventually, you'll get acclimated to it and it won't consume you. You won't be afraid of it. It'll be okay. Trust me. So I'm driving down the road going, okay. It didn't feel good at all. See, what I'm teaching you, I learned face to face with Father, Jesus, and Holy Ghost. And sometimes I don't know which one I'm talking to. Sometimes I'm talking to all of them. And sometimes I'm only talking to one. I know that's weird. But that's the way it is. Sometimes I, I absolutely know it's Jesus. How do I know that? Because he's talking to me like a wife. Father God don't talk to me like a wife. He talks to me like a daddy. Jesus talks to me like a wife. Holy Spirit talks to me like a mama. That's how I know them apart when they allow me to know them apart. Sometimes I know them gestaltly, like all at one time. It just is this essence of love and presence that really there's not much you can do but weep and feel exuberated and, and loved. And I remember one, one morning God asked me to have coffee with him on the back porch because that's usually what me and my physical husband do, you know, the Pepsi guy. That's what we do. For those of you who don't know, my husband's Pepsi, Jesus' Coke, he's a real thing. Yeah, just in case you hadn't heard that yet. But I usually have coffee with Pepsi. But this morning I was having coffee with Coke. People think I'm putting Coke in my coffee now. But. And so I'm sitting on the back porch and there's this beautiful mist of fog hanging in the yard. And again, our air is really thick. I love our air because it plumps up my, my, my daughter calls these, I mean, my granddaughter calls these sprinkles. She doesn't call them wrinkles. So the air puffs up your sprinkles and you don't look as old in Louisiana as you do when you leave Louisiana. And so I'm sitting on my back porch and the air's thick and heavy fog and it just feels good to me. I like it. And I can hear um, the birds and I hear the dew dripping off of the roof. And all of a sudden I just begin to feel this, frequency in every cell in my body I don't know how to explain it and I said I was kind of tingly like but it wasn't just tingly at my fingertips it was in my entire body almost like I, I could feel every cell in my body 
And I was like in awe. And my, you know, my coffee cup is kind of trembling a little bit. And I'm like, oh, God, what is this? He said, it's my essence. I'm letting you feel my essence. And I'm just weeping. And he says, what do you hear, Angela? So I listen. I'm like, birds. He says, no, what else? I listen. And it's really quiet outside other than the birds. And I hear trip, 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 trip. I said, oh, I hear rain. He said, no, that's not rain. That's dew that is collected and rolling off of the roof. That's not rain. He said, that cloud in front of you, is that rain? I'm looking at the cloud and I'm thinking, well, it's making raindrops on my roof called dew, but it's not technically raining. I said, God, I don't know. He said, Angela, it's just a different dimension of the same thing. It hasn't transformed yet enough to fall to earth, but it's still there watering the earth. It's a different dimension of rain, but yes, it's, it's the same thing. It's just not in the fullness of it. He said, that's how it is whenever your prayers and it would mingle with me and the essence of me is in something and it just hasn't manifested yet in the fullness. It doesn't mean it's not there just because you can't drink it. It's still there. It's just in a different dimension. That's how I am. I'm just like that cloud. I'm in a different dimension. But can't you experience this cloud right now? I'm like, yes, God, I can. He said, same way with me. You can experience me, not like you do Pepsi, like, I can't run my fingers through his hair. I can't hold his hand. But this moment of experiencing God was so tangible that I had conversation with God. He, he spoke to me just like if you were speaking to me. And every cell in my body felt alive. I could, it was like it was present. Now, my body's always present, but I was aware of the presence of not only my body, but him in my body. Where does that come from? My emotions. That tempering, driving down the road where I'm going, ugh, this feels horrible. Ugh. I wish I could pray and make it go away. But I learned to sit in that yucky feeling. I learned to let God turn me. Why? Because that's what heat does. When you turn the heat up, when you turn the, the fire up, God is an all-consuming fire. Put fire on water in a pot and watch it. It will begin to turn. And if, it, if, it does, if it's just steaming and not boiling, it'll still be turning, just not as obviously. But if you keep the fire up long enough, it'll actually become obvious and you can see the bubbling, boiling, turning, moving of the water. Do you know that love is described as boiling water in the word mandrakes? Rachel and Leah both married the same husband. Leah was bond. She was of the law. Rachel was the one he loved and she was beautiful or fair, the word says. Fair means one who sees clearly. And Leah's son, firstborn, Reuben, found some mandrakes. Now, if you look this up on Google, you will find commentaries that talk about the mandrakes that were possibly something that would make her more fertile, and that's probably why Rachel wanted them, but no one really knows. But God actually revealed to me one night while I was sleeping in November of 2014, out of my mouth in a half-open sleep and half-sleep in between state, 
I began to declare that the heavens to make ready the mandrakes and the venison, and I had no clue what I was saying. And I was talking to a great cloud of witnesses, and I was talking to heavenly hosts, and I told them to take it to court, and I did not have a clue. My husband said, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. Why are you saying that? I'm like, I don't know. What does that mean, mandrakes and venison? I don't know. I went and wrote it down, and I Googled it to try and find it out. And I couldn't find anything. So I did what I always do. I go back to the Word and say, okay, God, what is this? Start looking at the root. And I found out that mandrake means boiling love. It means a love that cannot be quenched. It means a hot, passionate love between two lovers that can't be quenched or the love between a, a, a parent and a child. See, it doesn't matter what a child does. You can't not love that child. It doesn't matter what my child does. I love my children. God's like that with us. God's love for us is as the mandrakes. It's boiling. It can't be quenched. And so Rachel, who wants to have a baby, um, sees that, that, that Reuben found these mandrakes, and she says, can I have your son's mandrakes? And if you, if you let me have them, you can have our husband tonight. She said, you've taken the love of my husband. Must you also have the boiling love of my son? Who is the boiling love of God, his son? So boiling love means son. Or the mandrake means the boiling love of a son. The boiling love of something that can't be quenched. Either a lover or a child. But why is a child something that can't be quenched? Because it's a result of the boiling love of the passionate couple. It's the, it's, the, it's the result of the coming together of the positive and the negative. It can't be quenched. And so that's what God is introducing you to if you will let this happen. It's his boiling love inside of you manifesting. Why? It's tempering you. It's growing you up. It's changing you. So what happens in the brain when that takes place? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> That chain in your brain is factual. It holds the truth of what you perceive to be true as a child based on your facts and emotion. The amygdala chain link protein memory is not formed without emotion. That's important. 2 plus 2 equals 4 is in your frontal lobe. There's no emotion attached to it. It's just facts. But in your amygdala, where your subconscious is, it is the fact plus emotion. So, if the fact is that when you were born, your mother gave you up for adoption, you felt abandoned with the fact that you were adopted and given away. No matter how much I tell you God loves you, no matter how much you read it, no matter how many blessings come in your life, no matter what, as a matter of fact, you can get the blessing of a child, God's ultimate gift, and you still will not feel loved because your amygdala has held you captive in its captivity of truth. The Bible says that Jesus came and the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and he came to, set, to make captivity captive. 
That used to bother me. I couldn't figure that out. Like, how do you put jail in jail? Because see, captivity means prison. Slavery. How do you put slavery in slaves? In chains? How do you, how do you chain up slavery? How do you put the prison in, sla- in, in prison? Am I the only one that thought that question? How, how do you make captivity captive? Anybody in here wonder that? I did. I was like, that just doesn't make it sounds good. But I can't do it in the natural. Like, there's, I can't figure that out. Until I found out there's a chain link protein in my amygdala that is captivity. And now I can make it captive with what? The rest of the story. So what is the rest of the story? The rest of the story is this. We come into earth. Why do we come into earth? Because we want to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because we want to be like God. And we're already like God. We just don't know we're like God. But because before we put on earth, we have no darkness. See, mud is a dark thing. Do you know that light can't shine through mud? It can't. But when you put blood and mud together and you breathe the breath of life into it, light can come out of the dark place. So we come to earth to learn about love. Anybody here know who Bob Jones is? Bob Jones had died one time, and when he got to heaven, the question he got asked by Jesus himself is, did you learn to love? And he told Jesus honestly, no. He said, you've answered well, go back. Bob Jones died on February 14th, the day we call Valentine's Day, the day of love. See, that's why we came here, is to learn love. Now, did we know love there? Sure we did. But we couldn't see it fully without darkness, without shadow. What do you mean, Angela? Well, how can you be merciful to someone that's never done you anything? How can you be perfect if you have no enemy to love? See, be you perfect even as your heavenly and Father is perfect, for he reigns on the just and the unjust, and he loves his enemies. See, that's how we wanted to be like our Father. That's why we came here. Otherwise, God would just be really mean. How could you say that, Angela? Because right now, there's some little girl waking up and is sad to wake up because she knows tonight before she goes back to sleep she'll be molested again. There's some little boy trying to wash the sodomy off of him right now. There's some children that are hungry because they went to bed hungry last night while their mom and dad was high and spent money on drugs rather than food. This earth is pretty messed up. I asked the question, God, how do you love us and let all this stuff happen? I need to wrap my brain around it because I just want to check out and not look at the truth because it makes me sick to my stomach. How many babies are aborted today? How many women are beaten by their husbands? How many children are beaten by their mothers? I met a woman who when she was five years old, her daddy molested her, and the mother used to scrub her with a brush and punish her and say, you're the reason your daddy doesn't love me. And she came to me to get help, and she said, I would never be like my mom. I said, you're right. You would just cut your baby in pieces and throw her in the trash. You're right. You wouldn't scrub her with a brush. 
Why would I say that to a mother already broken as a little girl? Because if I leave her in that lie, I cannot set her free. She'll be eat up with bitterness and unforgiveness and she'll probably die of cancer. So rather than leaving her in the lie that she was better than her mom, I made her face the ugly truth that she was running from that kept her an illusion. Why? So she could wake up and receive the love of God. See, what I do and what I teach doesn't come cheap. It costs not only me everything, it costs Christ everything, and everybody that God sends to me, their stories are crazy horrible. And the truth is really, really ugly. And you and I don't want to face it. We would rather check out in a book. We would rather check out with our food. We would rather check out with sex or drugs or alcohol or religion or something. But let's not face the truth. Why? Because it hurts. It's going to hurt you. It's not going to feel good. Positive feels good. Negative doesn't feel good. Put the two together, it feels worse. But that's the only way to change the captivity in your brain. Why? Because when that chain link protein was established, when that little girl was in the bathtub being scrubbed by her mom, she did not feel loved and rightfully so. So I took her back into that ugly captive, captivity memory. And when I did that, something began to happen instinctively, on purpose, subconsciously, not because she chose it. As a matter of fact, she wrestled against it to not get there. And I'm pushing, 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 winnowing the fire, winnowing the fire, winnowing the fire until I can get her to get the judgment out that says, I would never be like her. See, that was pride. That had to get in her bloodstream. Why? Because when the truth is not present, your, your cell walls, the, the receptor sites on your cell walls stay closed. They're in a protective mode. No different than if I, like a turtle, closes up. So in order to get those cell walls open, those receptor sites, that receptor sites, if you talk to a scientist, they call them a, a keyhole. God says he would give me the keys to what? The kingdom of God. And I already have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. If I gave you a set of keys, would I like, here, Marty, here's my keys. Stay out of my house. <laughs> Wouldn't that be ridiculous? You know what the heck you give them to me for? Keep them, Angela. I don't need those if I can't go in. See, God already gave you the keys, the keys to death, hell, and the grave. What are you doing here? We need to be going into death, hell, and the grave and getting them out. Because see, that woman was in hell. What hell? Believing and thinking more highly of herself than she ought to, thinking she was better than her mother because what her mother did was an atrocious event over and over and over every day. And how many times did the father molest her? God only knows. But I had to bring her back into that pain. Why? Because I couldn't light up that chain link protein if I don't bring her back. I go back into that pain, somehow that amygdala memory comes out like a book and all the facts are there. But what she can't see is that God loves her, never left her, nor did God ever forsake her. She can't see that while daddy's molesting her and mama's scrubbing her with a brush. So part of my job is to bring her back into that heightened state of emotion so that chain link protein is lit up. It's fired up now. It's got lots of frequency. It's so frequency that it's shivering and, and shaking. She's sweating. Her, her heart's pounding and she's breathing funny and she's like, I don't want to go here. I don't want to go. Why are you doing this to me? But see, I teach them in advance 
before I take them there so they know why I'm taking them there so I can get them out of the lie that God doesn't love you and the evidence that God doesn't love you is what happened to you. That's a lie. Yes, it happened to you. That's the truth. But God does love you and I'm going to prove it to you. And see, I can tell her till I'm, I'm blue in the face and she will not believe me. But when I get in that chain link protein and I begin to deposit whatever word God gives me, why do I need God's word? Because my words are futile. I have to wait until God gives me his word. So I, I move in the area of the kingdom of God. Where's the kingdom of God? In her heart, in her memories, in her feelings. See, when you seek the kingdom of God, that doesn't mean go do something good and godly. It means get into each other's heart. Jesus put it this way. Go, two by two, lay hands on one another. Pray, prayer of faith. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Now let me translate. Go, bring somebody with you. When you get there, lay your hands on them and feel them. Feel what you feel. Wait until you hear what the Father tells you and see what Father lets you see. When you see and you hear the monument, confess the sin. What is the sin? Missing the mark. What is the mark? The calculation. What is the calculation? The whole truth. The word calculation is the same thing as a physician. It means one who can calculate the cause. Look it up. Go look up the word physician in Hebrew. It means one who can calculate why. So you, you don't miss the mark. You confess your sin. Where did I miss the mark? I missed the mark. I couldn't see that God loved me in the monument, in the, in the memory of where Daddy did this to me and Mama blamed me and scrubbed me with a brush. Because see, to sin is to miss the sign, the wonder, the calculation, the mark, the monument, the miracle. Here's the wonder. I wonder why Daddy did that. I wonder why mama didn't protect me. Don't miss the wonder. See, if you miss the wonder, that's the sin. We think sin is all that other stuff mama and daddy did. No, that's the result of sin. Sin is missing the mark. So when you lay hands on each other and you confess your sins, you're saying, tell me where you missed the mark. Tell me where God didn't love you. Tell me where you couldn't see the love of God. Tell me where you couldn't see that. And I will show you that God loves you. And you'll be healed. Eat of this broken body and drink of this blood. Why? That you may live. Because you drank of it unworthily. And when you drank of it unworthily, you became sick, weak, and yea, some have already died. See, I'm unveiling the word of God to you like you've never seen it before. How many more times are we just going to lay hands on somebody and anoint him with a little bit of oil and say, Rabaka, Rebeke, be healed. I wish it worked like that. On occasion it does. Sometimes the move of God will come in and the whole room will get healed. But he said, go two by two. I didn't say that. He did. He went from house to house. What am I doing? Going from house to house. I have an assistant with me or a two by two. I lay hands on people. And I say, Father, what's in this kingdom? Where did this one miss the mark? Where, what monument is holding this one captive? See, a monument's a memory. What do we do at the Washington Monument or the memorial? It's a, it's, a, it's a remembrance. When they came across the Jordan River, what did they do? They set up 12 stones of remembrance. 
Why do we? I had somebody tell me one time, why you do that? You're just petting demons. You shouldn't go back into people's memory. You're just pulling them down. I said, you're kidding me. You don't remember what Jesus said? Remember me. The word male, as in husband, means remember. Here's one member. Here's another member. Here's another member. Here's another member and another member. I have six members to my hand. The middle of it and all five fingers. I'm going to remember all my body parts. So if one's missing, I'm going to remember it. I'm going to put it back together. I'm going to put my body parts back together. You should be fitly joined together. Endeavor to keep the unity of the faith. That one supplying to the other blood and marrow and joint. Reconnect. I remember one time a lady came to me and told me I was forsaking the assembly because I wasn't showing up in church. And I knew she was coming to tell me and I was like, oh God, I hope she don't see me. But she did. It was too late. I said, Father, I know what she's going to do. She's going to come tell me where I'm sinning and how I'm backsliding because I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm forsaking the assembly. That's what she thinks. Father, she doesn't know that you have me in a, in a hole in the ground right now. And you have me in a wilderness place and you're teaching me. And I, I could tell her till I'm blue in the face and she's still just going to think I'm backsliding. Well, I'm backsliding on my face. How about that? <laughs> so I look up and I say, God, what do I say to her? And there's a box on the shelf and it says, assembly required. I said, thank you, Jesus. So the woman comes over to me and gives me one of those churchy hugs. <laughs> you know we've been missing you. <laughs> and I said, well, I saw you over there missing me. And I prayed you wouldn't see me, but it was too late. Because <laughs> I knew you were going to come over here and tell me how I'm forsaking the assembly and I'm backsliding. And so I asked God, what do I tell her now that she's seen me? I said, sister, I can quote the same scriptures to you that you're quoting to me. You know me. I said, so, so what did God tell you? I took the box off the shelf. I said, you see this box? There's a model car in here. Is that a Carvette? And she said, yeah. I said, no, it's pieces, parts to a Carvette. I said, I have a ceiling, a floor, and four walls. Turn the box around. I said, assembly required. When y'all decide to get assembled, call me. I would love to be a part of assembly. God is my witness. When are we going to get assembled, people? See, when we lay hands on each other, it's not just because it's a good thing to do. You're laying hands on each other because your hands are an extension of your heart. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember last night I told you that when your heart beats, those three chemicals come together. A spark happens. That's what makes it beat. And then you have this frequency around you. Some people call it an aura. I know Christians don't like that word. I don't really care. I don't know what else to call it. Call it a laba laba. I don't name it something. I don't care. It's a frequency and it's around you. It's like an atmosphere, like a hemisphere. It's hemisphere. What hymns? Jesus, hemisphere. I am hemisphere. 
and I'm here. You got to deal with me. So this hemisphere thing that's around you has a frequency in it. When you lay hands on someone, it literally means to touch them. To touch them means to feel them. To feel them means to get information. It means to communicate. But not with the eyes or the ears or the, the, the natural man. It's to communicate with the heart. Heart of God to heart of God. Kingdom to kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom is at hand. It's right there in your hands. It's as far away as your hand. 